The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit voicesofwrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. If it's injury that you want, my friend, it's injury that you're going to get, only not mine. The next time you see a cast, I see a cast, anybody sees one, whether it be for an arm, a leg, a neck, a back, it's not going to be mine, pal, no. It's going to be yours, Mr. Rude, because as long as I'm breathing and I'm standing and my hair is still standing on end, and yeah, when I look ringside and see just one, just one kid with his face painted, I'm going to keep going and I'm going to remember that cast and how you wrapped it around my leg and tried to put me out, but failed, pal. So many others have tried in the past, but I'm the stinger. I'm a target. It ain't ever gonna happen here at WCW, and don't you ever, ever forget it, or forget who I am. God, is that part of the party? The revolution is televised. Join the Dark Order. Wrestling has more than one royal family. You're listening to Music of the Mat on the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to Music of the Mat, the podcast devoted exclusively to the music of pro wrestling. It's all part of the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network. I'm your host, Andrew Rich. This is episode 100. Yes, that's right. It's the 100th episode of Music of the Mat, and it is about the themes of Sting. And today I'm joined by a returning guest here on the show, one of the hosts of the Shake Them Ropes podcast, which is also part of the VOW Podcast Network. It's Jeff Hawkins. Hello, Jeff. Hey, you know, he is a man called Sting. Uh, that is true. That, that is true. Yeah, I should uh, correct myself there. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, he's not just a man called Sting, of course. Uh, he's also a man called Sting mm-hmm. and a man, called, and man Sting. called Sting. And he's also, get this, a man called Sting. <laughs> yes. And he does this and he does that. Yeah, yeah, but uh, we'll get to that later on for sure. <laughs> but uh, but how, how you doing, Jeff? I'm doing great. I'm actually a little <laughs> I was confused as to why I was asked to be here. <laughs> <laughs> because I, I get that there's a couple of actual songs on here, but other than that, you know, I mean, I'm I like Sting. Don't get me wrong. I <laughs> it, it's uh it's one of those things where where it's like, would you like to come talk about the themes of Sting? And you're like. Okay, I, I guess. 
if I'm being honest, Jeff, and I don't mean to insult you here, but nobody um, else, nobody else would. No, no, it's not that. It's not that. Um, You are, shall we say, a little bit older than me. Um, We've done territory episodes, you know, together. You're a big WCW guy as well, and you know, Sting is a WCW slash territory legend. So I figured, you know, he'd be up your alley. Okay. No, that's good. I'll I'll take it. I will look. You could go. Hey, gonna have a podcast on quantum physics. Would you like to come on? I'm like, yes. So I, I know nothing about it, but I'll fake my way through it because I just like to talk. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, but hey, listen, listen, you are the honorary guest on the 100th episode of the show. So yeah, that's pretty cool, too, I think. Yeah. Uh, no, I'm, I'm honored to be here. I'm just razzing you a bit. Mike. I know. I know. But um, but yeah, man, 100 episodes. This is pretty damn cool, you know, to reach this milestone. Um, it's something that I've been keeping an eye on and anticipating. And, and now it's here. It's awesome. And it feels good, too, to join a bunch of, you know, other VOW podcasts who have also crossed the 100 mark. You know, Shake Them Ropes, The Flagship, The Super J-Cast, Everything Elite. So, you know, it feels good to check this accolade off the list here, Jeff. How much longer are we doing this, Andrew? Oh, believe me, the end times are near. You know, <laughs> so, you know, once I cross this mark, I can say I did it, I made it to 100, and I can throw my microphone in the ocean now and never look back here. So, <laughs> yeah, I said that three years ago. I'm still doing the show. So, oh yeah, sure, <laughs> for, for sure, yeah. Um, but uh, I mean, look, you know the score, Jeff. You know there have been just so many podcasts over the years, um, including on this very network that just start their run and and they don't last very long. They they stop for whatever reason. Um, but I wanted to at least reach this goal and get to a hundred. So you know, even if the world ends tomorrow which given the state of the world right now, <laughs> it may happen sooner rather than later. Um, at least I made it to this, you know, this moment here. Be an optimist, Andrew, not like me. Uh, <laughs> you'll be, we'll be fine. No, it, it's great that you've reached 100. Look, if somebody had said, hey, I'm going to do a podcast on themes and said, hey, we're going to do 100 episodes of them. How many people do you think would go, do you think you do 100 wrestlers or topics that would even get there so no it's 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 one of those things where you go okay that sounds like an interesting idea for a podcast but who would have who would have the stamina to do such a thing and that man is you andrew apparently so apparently so um but i i was teasing of course about you know the end times are near i don't plan on stopping this show anytime soon um in fact the next episode will be the fourth anniversary show and i'm looking forward to that too so um so yeah, Jeff, uh, since this is episode 100, I figured that it's only fair that we have a, a giant topic to match. And uh, for the topic, as the great Gary Michael Capetta would say, this is Sting! Yes, we're talking Sting. His time with the police, his solo material, the loot stuff. Oh, wait a minute. No, wait. No, no. Wrong Sting. Wrong Sting. Sorry about that. Uh, <laughs> uh, there'll be no tantric sex talk on the podcast today here, Jeff. So <laughs> Don't be too sure about that. I may get into it later. <laughs> but, uh, but no, no. Of course, we're talking about uh, the wrestler Sting, the icon Sting, uh, the man called Sting. <laughs> um, some may know him best as Surfer Sting, others as Crow Sting. Uh, some may see him as a WCW legend. Others, perhaps, an Impact Legend. He's all those things, and more, because he's been in WWE, he's been in New Japan, All Japan, UWF, uh, Jim Crockett Promotions, WWA in Australia. He's had a very long, fruitful career, and uh, right now is a good time to do a Sting episode, because 
He's back in the spotlight in AEW. Um, he debuted on their Winter is Coming show about a month ago. Uh, he hasn't done much, granted. Uh, just, you know, showed up and looked menacing with the baseball bat. But, you know, it's Sting, Jeff. That's what he does. Yes. Yeah. And uh, I think AEW is going to use him a lot better than WWE did. Let's put it that way. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, when it comes to Sting, uh, there's a lot to talk about, of course. Um, we'll, we'll cover his music here. Not an entire deep dive of his career. Um, but I guess we'll start off with our general thoughts on the guy. Uh, where does Sting lie in your wrestling fandom, Jeff? Um, I assume you first saw him uh, in, in Crockett, I guess. Uh, where was it? I I first saw him when I got access to UWF. Because when I first got cable, uh, UWF was playing on home team sports. And a kid in my, was it, yeah, it was high school, I guess. Or no, it might have been middle school by then. But nevertheless, because, hey, there's another wrestling federation. I know you're into it. Uh, it's called uh, UWF. It's on home team sports on, I think it was like Mondays at 3, whenever like Oriole games weren't on. And uh, that's how I got access to UWF. And that's the first time I saw Sting. But since then, I've kind of gone back and looked at his, uh, you know, some of his Memphis stuff as well. But uh, really, my first entry into there is him. Um, Sting's interesting because... You know he's a legendary figure, but you just don't know quite how to put it because there's no other guy who could be part of a major story and be off of TV for a full year in professional wrestling and still have that kind of heft in many, many ways. Uh, he's not thought of as a work rate guy, but he has great matches in his resume. He, you know, he's not necessarily thought of as a great talker, but he does have some great promos uh more when he actually left wcw which is odd uh so he's 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 a guy who has almost over delivered on expectations at time and at the same time somewhat under delivered if you think about it, because he never really when he was carrying the company in the early 90s business was down then but then when the monday night wars came on he was a major major part of the biggest boom in professional wrestling, although he's not necessarily credited with with that as such. Yeah, I knew about Sting on the periphery even before I became a wrestling fan, just through you know various pop culture bits. Um, but my first real foray with Sting as a fan was in TNA uh, when he joined the roster in 06. and uh, you know I, I was in you know the, the look, the aura, the music, the charisma. Uh, he's never been like my absolute favorite guy. And it's, you know, wavered at times depending on the year. But I've always had, you know, some fondness for Sting. Uh, mainly Crow Sting because that's the one I, you know, grew up on and, and watched the most and, and lived through. Um, I have seen Surfer Sting but only through, you know, old footage. And I like Surfer Sting too, don't get me wrong. But there's something about Crow Sting that I've always preferred. I think it's just, you know, it's a naturally cooler character. And I think it lends to, you know, cooler moments too. Like the AEW debut, you know, when that, that grand operatic music hit and the icy blue lights are going and the, the snow is coming down and Sting walks out and, and Tony Schiavone just, you know, he goes, it's Sting! Like, that gave me goosebumps. And I don't know if many other characters could make an entrance like that work or make me, you know, feel that way. Um, so again, not my favorite favorite, but he just has like a, a coolness about him. To me, and a coolness at an older age too. You know, I think if I had seen Sting in his prime as a young guy, as the surfer, he might be higher on my list. But you know, as it stands right now, I have what I have with Sting. 
So it's it's you know the older Sting, the Crow Sting, and that's still you know a pretty impressive and, and fun run there, Jeff. Surfer Sting, you I mean if you watch the early early stuff when he first turned babyface and came to when Crockett bought UWF, you can tell he was a presence, but he just you know he was all energy to the point where even his promos just didn't make sense. He'd just be screaming sometimes, and you'd be like, okay, this is great. I have a weird fa- – I love that very, very short period of horseman sting, which <laughs> right before they all turned on him when when, uh, when he saved Ric Flair. But, uh, yeah, I mean, older sting, it, it's very – for a guy that you thought was going to be retiring over and over again, the guy's longevity can't be denied. And as an elder statesman of wrestling, he keeps getting more interesting as he goes, which – I never thought of Sting would be that kind of guy. I thought Sting would be a guy who made a lot of money. I thought he would jump to the WWF eventually and and get a run there because he's such an over-the-top character that, man, Vince would just go gaga for the guy. And then he'd retire, and we'd probably never hear from him again. And he might do some some you know conventions or something like that. But no, he's still here. He's still involved in wrestling. And he's getting more... I mean... Main event mafia sting was interesting. You can't <laughs> deny that that wasn't an interesting choice for him. And you're kind of like going, man, as he gets older, he almost becomes a great character actor in some ways. I, you know, not in terms of he's a great actor, but you know, those character actors who like, they, they had some roles. And then as they get some age on them and some wrinkles on their face and they get, they start to get booked more and more as just kind of themselves, but you always want to see them on screen. And that's kind of where I am with sting right now. I think with me, what it is about Sting too, and this applies to The Undertaker as well, is that, you know, Crow Sting, he's a dark character who fights for good. There's just something about that that type of character that I've always liked. Um, not that I don't like a good white meat babyface too, of course, but to me, there's something more interesting about a character who looks dark and scary and menacing, but is actually a good guy. You know, like, like the Crow, obviously, um, like Batman. Um, and, and if Punisher, I could, yeah, yep, types. Punisher as well, Punisher. And if I could use like a current wrestling reference, Darby Allen. Yeah, you know, Darby looks rather skeevy, sure, but he's a good guy. And Sting and Darby have been linked together since Sting came to AEW, and that's no accident, I think. Um, and as well, I, I think his older age plays a part too. I, I like the idea of the old gunslinger, the old veteran coming in for one last go to set things right. Not the main focus, but just like a helping hand to, you know, tip the balance the right way. Um, and, and of course, the presentation helps a lot too. That goes a long way. I think Sting, whether Surfer or Crow, has had the benefit of having a very memorable presentation. You know, the face paint, the gear, the Scorpion logo, descending from the rafters, the baseball bat. Like, these are all iconography that have endured for, you know, decades. And the music plays a big part in that, too. You know, Sting has had some very memorable themes over the years. And I think even though he's older now and gray-haired and, and doesn't have the physicality that he used to, he can still put on the garb and walk out to his music and point the bat and have that you know, that piercing look in his eyes. And it can all still work, Jeff. The the face paint really helps. It does. I mean, as, as we see with Dustin Rhodes as well, you know, you <laughs> it, it hides a lot of the age. Uh, on the face and on 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 the body, to be honest with you. Yeah. So let's get the ball rolling here. Uh, we have a lot of themes to get to because Sting has had a very long career. Uh, he started wrestling in 1985, and his first prominent promotion was Continental in Memphis. Uh, he and his tag partner Jim Helwig 
Yes, that Jim Helwig, Ultimate Warrior. Uh, they then went to Bill Watts' UWF in 86 and became known as the Blade Runners, Sting and Rock. And they were part of Eddie Gilbert's Hot Stuff and Hyatt International Stable. The Blade Runners theme is by Styx off the album The Grand Illusion. This is Castle Walls. Blade Runners used an edit of this song, where it starts off at the 2.30 mark, so it cuts off the majority of the lyrics and begins with that, that keyboard melody, that and that's so ominous, you know, like a, like a 70s horror movie, and for the Blade Runners, that works quite well. You know, this is not Sting and Ultimate Warrior as we know them best, the good guys. The Blade Runners are these hulking, snarling henchmen of Eddie Gilbert, you know, that, that's their role. Stand there, look mean, beat guys up. So the evil, menacing music works quite well for this era of Sting's career there, Jeff. Yeah, but it only lasts like five seconds. And then it goes <laughs> into the kind of kind of that guitar, like almost like the beginning of uh, No Quarter by Led Zeppelin. And you're like, okay. I, and it's weird because, oddly enough, I kind of just glossed over your note here that said they started it at 2.30 in the song. And I originally listened to it, I go, this should not be a wrestling theme because it takes too long to get to the good stuff. And there's songs that, you know, are <laughs> are like that. It, it, it's weird. I, I also, uh, and then I listen to it 2.30. I go, okay, I can see that. But all they wanted to do was get in the verse. What is it? Life is never what it seems and man must always meet his destiny. I, okay. And then, and then, and then it's just, and then it's just a quagmire of like soft guitar. And I'm like, well, this isn't much of a theme. It's a good, I mean, if you're going to do a sticks theme, you know, do Renegade and start when he yells, yeah, and then, you know, the, the jig is up, the news is out, whatever. Um, yeah, Styx is, <laughs> Styx is an odd band for me because I like them a lot, but they they do a lot of the, uh, of what I like to call the, the Pete Townsend type uh, 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 concept album type song, but only in song form, kind of like they did with Mr. Roboto. But uh, it, it's fine. I, I'm, I'm happy that they edited down to 2.30 and I think also another tag team that found out this issue that had to do was uh, remember Bad Company in AWA you know Bad Company the, the, the song Bad Company is great but it takes a while to get to the you know that's why they call me Bad Company because it has that piano it's very soft it doesn't make for a good wrestling theme unless you unless you edit it and yeah I, I figured that's how they did it here and th this is <laughs> it's like hey I like this one part of the song let's make it our theme okay <laughs> well, I like starting off with this one because it's so theatrical, and theatricality is a big part of Sting's whole aura. You know, so much of him, especially Crow Sting, is a big to-do. The lights and shadows and the face paint and 
hiding in the rafters and the music as well. It's also so this... a big. De- it's also a big Dennis DeYoung thing, quite frankly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's that's true as well for sure. Uh, but yeah, this is not the best song in the world, um, but it does set up the theatrical aspects of many of Sting's later themes and really sets the table for what's to come later on here, Jeff. Okay. Yeah, no, it's not a bad theme. It's just an interesting one, especially for those two guys. I don't see them in the gym. Hey, man, want to rock out to sticks? Yeah, man, put on <laughs> sail away. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, put on Sweet Madam Blue and get our pump on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> put on a song about a medieval castle. And <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, well, it was a good idea to cut off the majority of the lyrics because, um, well, for example, it starts off with, once in a dream far beyond these castle walls, down near the bay where the moonlit water falls, I stood alone while the minstrel sang his song, so afraid I'd lost my soul. A little too poetic for the Blade Runners, I think, Jeff. Yeah, I don't think those two meatheads really got into the whole medieval fantasy aspect of it. <laughs> no. Um... Although they might have been like token geeks. Like Led Zeppelin, so who knows? So, Blade Runner Rock uh, leaves the UWF in mid-86, but Sting stays around as part of Hot Stuff and Hyatt International with a new tag partner, Rick Steiner. And in late 86, he gets a new theme song, uh, this one by Billy Squire from the album Emotions in Motion. This is Everybody Wants You. Castle Walls touched upon the theatricality of a lot of Sting's themes. This one touches on another big aspect of them, which is rock and roll. You know, almost every Sting theme has some form of rock and roll in it. Um, And in this case, we're taking a jump from prog rocky deep cut sticks to poppy radio single hard rock Billy Squire. So from my point of view, this is the beginning of Sting becoming more palatable and more personable. He's still a heel, mind you, but... He's now on the path to single stardom, you know, so a a poppier rock theme goes along with that, I think. And there's also, as well, the pop connection with Eddie Gilbert coming out to Hot Stuff by Donna Summer. So there are seeds being planted here of Sting being known for, you know, his rockin' tunes, I guess, Jeff. It's a great heel theme for a good-looking, blonde surfer kind of guy. Everybody wants you, and it, you know, it'll make the men ticked off and everything like that. And, uh, I like I like Billy Squire a lot. I gotta admit, always the other theme I always wanted for him. I always wanted Jeff Jarrett to come out to the Stroke. Ah, I never yes, did. Yes, but uh, no, no. I think no. This is this is great for an arrogant, 
he, I mean, yeah, and it was it also worked for I believe uh, Brian Lee in Smoky Mountain. Yeah, I like it. Well, here's the thing. I agree, it's a great song for sure. And on the surface, yeah, it seems like your typical vain ego heel theme. But if you look at the lyrics more closely, it's actually about the difficulties of the rock star life, yeah. where yeah. everybody wants you in some form or another. You see them coming at you every night. Strung on pretension, they fall for you at first sight. You crave attention, you can never say no. Throw your affections any way the wind blows. Everybody knows you. Everybody snows you. Everybody leads you, needs you, bleeds you. So the song sounds very catchy and very fun, but lyrically it's not positive at all. It's rather regretful in a lot of ways. So, you know, I'm sure whoever picked it was just like, you know, ah, it's a good rockin' tune for Sting or whatever, but you dig a little deeper, it's not as pleasant as it seems there, Jeff. Oh, yeah, it's like people who use, like, turn the page because they like the, 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 the soulful saxophone solo. No, they looked at it and said, they said, everybody wants you. Oh, that means girls want you. Let's use that as a theme. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, or, or Bored in the USA is like a pro-America theme, right? Yeah. yeah. But, um, well, I think more importantly, you know, what this song sets up is the difference in tone between Surfer Sting and Crow Sting themes, where Surfer Sting, his themes are brighter, they're poppier, they're more, I guess, palatable for a wider audience than Crow Sting's themes are. And that makes sense, you know, because Surfer Sting is a lighter, brighter character with the colorful outfits and the blonde hair, and he's friendlier, and he's not dark and brooding like Crow Sting is. So, you know, it all makes sense there, Jeff. Yeah, the Crow themes are used to set a mood, mostly. So in mid-87, Sting reached the end of one of his first few heel runs when he was betrayed by Eddie Gilbert and kicked out of the group, becoming a good guy. Uh, This was also around the time that he started appearing in Jim Crockett Promotions, which would become his main promotion. Uh, His theme from 87 to early 88 is by the Beastie Boys off their debut album Licensed to Ill. This is You Gotta Fight for Your Right to party. Kick it! You know, Jeff, of all the wrestlers who I would have guessed had the Beastie Boys as a theme song, Sting would not be high on that list. Uh, he does not have that that vibe to me. Um, but to be fair, to be fair, um, as far as Beastie Boys go, this is as you know safe and pedestrian and rock and roll as you can get. Really, um, this is not true hip hop Beastie Boys like Sure Shot or. Uh, intergalactic or whatever. This leans heavily into the rock side of things, more so than the rap. Um, so if Sting had to have a Beastie Boys theme, 
I guess I'd go with this one too, Jeff. Uh, you being younger, this is where me being older kind of helps. Uh, you don't understand what a phenomenon this song was when it came out. It was huge. It was, it was suburbia's entry into rap pretty much when this came out. Uh, yeah, no, this was, this, the song was ginormous. And the, the weird thing is, I think they were the second group, uh, in JCP to use this. Cause I believe that the new breed used it, you know, in their short run before Sting got there. So it was always weird because he expected the new breed to come out. No, it's Sting. And, you know, Sting hadn't really... In JCP, he hadn't been established as a babyface. He was just new guy. As opposed to in UWF, where they had shown the turn and, and all these other things before he had done that. I think he had also used it slightly as a heel. I think he and Steiner had used it I think they may have used it a couple times when they were still a heel team, which also made it confusing because this is not a heel song. This is this is wild baby face, get the people on their feet cheering type of baby face fire song. And yeah, I mean, <laughs> for his run at JCP, sure, it's great. For the for those last few heel times, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, if you look at like the time period, uh, this is the end of young heel sting and the beginning of face sting, so... You can argue that he still has that, that fiery attitude within him, and there's a lot of attitude with the Beastie Boys as well, of course. Um, it's still safe attitude in this case. Um, I think the naughtiest it gets is the phrase, porno mag. Um, but regardless, look, if you want to school me, oh, it was a big song. I know it was a big song. <laughs> Who do you think you're talking to here? Like, in my notes, I was going to say, if you're trying to make Sting look cool, especially with the youngsters, having a rebellious, snarky <laughs> Beastie Boys theme during their come-up in pop culture is a rather smart play. Hold on, and, I, need to, I need to defend myself here because I, I just thought that you're, well, you know, this is kind of just pedestrian Beastie Boys. That they come, that they came up with what I meant by that, off. what I meant by that is that Sting is not a hip-hop guy. You know, he, he is yeah. as white as Wonder Bread. <laughs> so I'm just saying... When you think of Beastie Boys, you tend to think of hip-hop first, but this is one of their more overtly rock songs, okay? Okay, okay, okay. I could, but I could also see Watts making this a heel theme because, yeah, we all want those white kids rapping down there. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, well, listen, I'm, I'm just trying to smooth out the edges here, okay? That's all I'm doing. <laughs> Do we have heat now? Is this going to become a feud for the rest of the damn show? <laughs> <laughs> Look, let, let's stop the feud for now. Okay, okay. Let, let's okay. stop truce. it. Truce, okay, truce, Okay, good, truce. good. Um, um, but no, no, seriously though, like this song was a top 10 hit, album was number one, uh, Beastie Boys are getting big, so why not attach their popularity to Sting, who is being pegged as a future star? So it all lines up nicely there, Jeff, you know? Yeah, party guy Sting, screaming all the time, ow, all that <laughs> Yeah. Um, and as far as other wrestling goes, uh, this song was also used by Axel Rotten, uh, his tag team with Ian, the Bad Breed, uh, Daisuke Ikeda in Japan, and um, it probably fit those guys a little bit better than it did Sting, I think, but uh, again, it's relatively lighthearted, all things considered. You know, this is not straight out of Compton, which came out around the same time. Um, that would have been a real strong contrast there. <laughs> oh, but but it, but it did hit the cultural zeitgeist in my area because, of course, I... I I was raised in a fairly, uh, let's see, southeastern Virginia is fairly gods and guns in the 80s. 
So it's like you have all the televangelists. You do not need to fight for your right to marry. <laughs> <laughs> you children, you should obey your parents. And, you know, I, I could... I think there were a couple preachers who who had sermons like that at the time, but uh, yeah, it, it is fairly pedestrian when you think about it. So Sting moves over to Crockett and gets a new theme in early 88. Uh, this one lasts about a month from February to March. It's by Graham David Taylor from the Themes International Music Library. It's called Snake City Rock. So with the last song, The Beastie Boys, that at least had the energy and the excitement that fits this incarnation of Sting. This one, though, doesn't really have that. It's a little too slow, a little too bluesy, and a little too southern as well. Um, Even the title, Snake City Rock, doesn't feel like a Sting-themed title. You know, it feels like it belongs more for someone like, uh, I don't know, Barry Windham or, or Terry Funk or whatever. You know, a real Texas badass. Sting, he's from Venice Beach, you know, he's day glow, not snakeskin there, Jeff. So it's it's weird. Yeah, no, it's either Texas or I was thinking Florida also, because this this has a very skinnered vibe to it. Once you get that after those first couple of thirds on the guitar, it's it's very skinnered almond brothers type of thing. Yeah, yeah. Well, he didn't have it for that long, so I think someone might have realized that it wasn't working out for him and they changed it. Um, especially compared to like, you know, other themes that he had during this time period. Like, this has a sax solo in it, you know? Sting is not a sax solo kind of guy. He's a guitar solo kind of guy. Um, he's a rocker, not a blues man. But again, he had this so briefly that it's no big deal, I guess, there, Jeff. They're trying things. They're trying to package him. They're trying to figure out what would what would get an initial pop out of people. Mm. And um, looking it up, it seems that Shane Douglas had this as a theme in Crockett 2. Which is also weird because, again, he's not Southern. He's from like Pittsburgh or whatever. So, well, know. well, not for the not for that incarnation of Shane Douglas, which was, you know, <laughs> next. I like to say the next Tim Horner. Uh, <laughs> you know, you know, young guy, blonde girls dig him. Yeah, it's just, it's yeah. No, this is for. I won't say a grizzled heel, but you know, a very you know a heel who's gonna kind of just strut, almost like a freebird type of heel. You know, someone who's just gonna kind of make their way down the ring, strutting a bit. Yeah, this is not for for a Sting-type character. Yeah, Sting is a little too fast-paced for this one, for sure. Um, Someone with, like, a slower gait would make more sense there. Very good terminology. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Uh, See, we're friends again. There you go. There there you go. (laughs) So, overall, 88 was a really important year for Sting and his career, uh, thanks to his feud with Ric Flair and the Four Horsemen. Uh, he had that NWA title match at the first Clash of the Champions in March. Uh, the Road Warriors feud later on as well. So his career really amped up a lot 
uh, at this point. And speaking of Clash 1, that's where Sting got his next theme. Um, he had this for about a year until March 89. This is by David Hubbard from the DeWolf Music Library. It's called Rattlesnake Whip. <laughs> snake song here, uh, but this one does fit Sting a lot better than the last one. Uh, it's more in line with his character in terms of energy, the pace, uh, the kind of rock and roll that it is, um, which is, you know, your more typical 80s mullet hard rock. You know, it sounds like a rat or duck and b-side. Um, is it safe and generic? Yeah, sure, but it's Sting. Like, at this point, he is firmly a white meat babyface through and through, and far from being the dark, edgy character that he used to be or will become later on. Um, so, nothing else to say about this one for me, uh, but it works. It's fine, Jeff, you know. It's a nice hook once you're into it, but the chugga-chugga bass, it, it's just such a... It, it, it's not like every bad 80s hair band that you get. Yeah, um, and funny enough, this was also used by Eddie Gilbert and Crockett, which is a shame that he had to give up hot stuff, but um, that's just the nature of things, I guess, you know. Yeah, they were they were starting to realize that they could not just put other people's music on their television shows. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So uh, in March of 89, Sting gets a new theme that lasts quite a while, until February of 93, um, which includes not only Crockett turning into World Championship Wrestling, but a lot of other stuff happens too. Uh, the Great Muda feud, uh, winning the NWA title and later the WCW title, joining the Four Horsemen, uh, leaving the Four Horsemen, uh, the Black Scorpion, War Games 92, Coal Miner's Glove, the first few Vader matches, a whole big bunch of stuff. Uh, his theme is by Peter Hinton from the Chapel Recorded Music Library. It's called Turbocharged. <laughs>
surprise, surprise, that a song called Turbocharged is a fast-paced rock instrumental. <laughs> it, it has that one chord playing over and over again, the dun 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 And over that you have the down, da down, down, da down, and a few guitar solos as well. It's not the most dynamic song in the world. Um, I think Rattlesnake Whip is a little bit more going on in there than this one. Um, but this song was used a lot more, of course. And I think the simplicity of it actually makes it a little bit more memorable in a way. Um, you know, Jeff, I, I do believe you said on the most recent Shake Them Ropes that this is actually your favorite Sting theme, correct? Yeah, no, it is. For uh, In terms of just him as a babyface, really as a big deal. And in the arena... Uh, it, it also served that, that first dun, 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 really is kind of a precursor to, say, the glass break in Austin's theme. You know, as soon as the, you know, you could hear the part leading up to that in the arena necessarily because it was always loud and, and, but once you heard that dun, dun, and everybody gets on their feet and starts screaming because the number one baby face is here, kids, and he's here to beat up the heels, uh, it, it became a thing. It became it became energy in the arena, and it was really really cool. And and that's what I always associate with this theme is just super hot babyface fire sting who was, you know, who was awesome at least in terms of of that kind of energy. If you like that kind of character, yeah, I'm not really attached to it because uh, again, I didn't live through this era of Sting and, and watch it growing up. But regardless, I think the goal of a theme is to sound like it belongs to a wrestler. And this does, for sure. This does feel like Sting very much so, like a proper high-energy good guy song. And if you think, too, about his major feuds during this time period, you know, Flair, Muda, Vader, what do their themes sound like? Not this. You know, Flair has his famous theme. Uh, Muda has some spooky Asian music, I guess. Uh, Vader is all doom and gloom metal. Whether or not this song is the best song in the world... It does help differentiate Sting and his whole persona from the bad guys. Mm -hmm. And here's something, too. When I first heard this song, you know what I thought of? Ultimate Warrior. Yeah. This sounds like a sister song to Warrior's theme to me. Uh, the simplicity, the genre, that repeated chord. Um, and there are other connections, too, between them, of course. Um, obviously, former tag partners as the Blade Runners, the face paint, the energy, both good guys. I would not um, be surprised if they ripped it off. <laughs> no, I'm serious. I would not be surprised. So in February of 93, uh, Sting gets another new theme, uh, the last theme of the Surfer Sting era. So we're talking the larger Vader feud, uh, the Rick Rude feud over the international title, Hogan coming in, Dungeon of Doom feud, and of course, the onset of the New World Order in the summer of 96. So this is by Jimmy Papa and the Grand Theft All-Star Band. Off of WCW Slam Jam Volume 1, this is indeed Man Called Sting.
This is not only the last Surfer Sting theme, which is a big deal, but it's also the first theme that was written specifically for Sting, which is also a big deal. And as such, what we get here is the most Surfer Sting theme that has ever been or will ever be written. I mean, because I covered this with Joe Gagne way back when on the Slam Jam episode, but my god, everything about Surfer Sting is encapsulated in this song. Like, it's rock and roll, it's in your face, it's energetic, it's fun and fan-friendly to the point of annoyance, and it just, it, it never lets up. The line, he's a man called Sting, is sung no fewer than, I don't know, 8,000 times, maybe? And the references to, of course, the Scorpion Deathlock, the Stinger Splash, Little Stingers, he's a hero, don't mess with him, you know, so it, it, it's so cheesy and corny, and it's just, it's so Sting, Jeff, I love it. <laughs> okay, uh, it's it's bland and uh, doesn't really go anywhere, which was a lot like Sting during this time. <laughs> I don't I don't understand a lot of your gener I don't understand a lot of your generation's love for this album because all oh, the songs stink. <laughs> I, I hate this. Al- I hate all the themes on this album. I hate them, and yet everybody seems to have some sort of ironic love. You know, they call him the natural. You know, no, I, I hate that. <laughs> I hate I hate the American Males song. I, I hate this song. I, I I hate these themes, all of them, because I also associate this with, uh, even though it's a little bit layered, the, the PN News era of WCW, which is just god awful. <laughs> We're not feuding again, are we, Jeff? Come on. No, now. this is no, this isn't a feud. This is just a statement of things that I think, and then I will leave it there, and then you can defend it. Uh, l- listen, I listen. I won't defend this as good because it isn't good by any normal measure, but. You just have to appreciate this thing for what it is. Like, the line, he does this, he does that. Like, you have to appreciate just how bad and lazy it is. Come no, on! No, I don't have to appreciate that! I, you know, you don't have to appreciate that. That's like, uh, who, who is it that, 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 that oh, it's, uh, that, that stupid song, um, uh, oh, the best friend you ever had in me, so tell me. Uh, train. They, they rhymed the, they rhymed the same words together and try to get away with that no i don't have to appreciate poor songwriting and poor craftsmanship (laughs) just because there's some ironic detachment to an art form that is not generally loved by the mainstream no i do not have to appreciate it well how about this one how about this one he's his own man and he's nobody's fool that's great, you know, because the running joke is that Sting was often the fool because his partners always turned on him, so... <laughs> yes, yes, he, he was one of the progenitors of stupid babyface syndrome because <laughs> partners would turn on him all the time, but... Yeah. Oh, did you, did you... What did you think of the, the lyrics? American males, American males, American males, American males. Deep? Soul-searching? <laughs> piercing? Perhaps? No, <laughs> themes all suck. I don't understand people who like them. I don't understand people who have a strong affinity for them at all. I don't even understand people who have a slight ironic love for them. They suck. They should be buried. They should be overdubbed on the network for God's sakes. I hate them all. Thank you. Well, um, ranting aside, (laughs) uh, I will say that uh, despite the quality of the song, it is the ultimate surfer stink theme. It defines his look, his character, his personality, um, and again, it's a great contrast with people like Vader and the Dungeon of Doom and their themes. And really, it's no wonder that this was the last Surfer Sting theme because 
where do you go from here, Jeff? You know? <laughs> oh, you don't. Uh, unless you like license the beach boys. Yeah, no, <laughs> I, I, I get it. I mean, yeah. And this was, this was really corporate sting, corporate baby face sting versus, you know, kids, you know, the kids love him. And he's the energy ball. This is, you're carrying the company. Now we need to get you a nice heroic theme. You are a man called sting. Okay, great. You know, uh, that, that, that was the purpose for me. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We hype ourselves up thinking, ah, maybe I can pull a Ken Griffey Jr. rookie card. But with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now. Introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view of all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now, when I buy Slab Packs at Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. I was able to open an Arena Club slab pack, and and I'll be honest, it was a lot better than what you normally do. Say you go to a card show, and there's a random innocuous brown bag of cards, and yeah, you can open it, and look, it's going to be junk. You're, you, you know what I mean? Like You know what you're probably going to get in those. Maybe you find that fun, and sometimes I do. Sometimes I like just opening up cards and saying, oh, hey, look at some random cards or whatever, but if you're really in this game to, to find value and find particular cards... It sucks to have to buy these mystery packs, and it ends up being, you know, almost nothing. You know, nothing of value. Not with Arena Club. You can display, again, of all available cards, hit rates, grading, so you know that when you're opening up the slab pack, you are going to get something valuable. You are getting something good. And Arena Club, in addition to having those great slab packs we just talked about, is also a marketplace for card collecting, buying, trading, selling, displaying, all that sort of stuff. But those Arena Club slab packs, man, they are revolutionizing the repack game with transparency. After your polls are revealed, they'll immediately be placed in your vault for safekeeping or trading and selling, and you can have them officially graded by Arena Club as well. So again, you know, setting these things off, it's going to be officially graded by Arena Club. And the Arena Club grading process is accurate, fast, and transparent with full grade rationale provided and explanation of how your card was scored. So whether you're buying, selling, trading, or displaying, Arena Club is the card collecting platform that you have to check out. So right now, I've got a special offer here for Voices of Wrestling Network listeners. You can get 10% off of your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash V-O-W-Net. Again, that's arenaclub.com slash V-O-W-Net. Now, that's a crazy offer. That's 10% off a $400 slab pack. $40 off right there. 10% off your first purchase. No matter what that purchase is, 10% off again that's arena club.com slash vow net arena club.com slash vow net for 10 percent off your first purchase on arena club and we thank them for sponsoring the voices of wrestling podcast network the future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly but then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about that's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Sting is on his way to the ring. Which one? This, this is a little weird. Hold on, hold on, hold on. It's like Sting. 
The Stinger is here. Let's hear what he has to say. I want a chance to explain something that happened last Monday night at Nitro. Last Monday night, I was on an airplane flying from L.A. to Atlanta. When I got to Atlanta, I tuned in the TV to Nitro. And I thought I was watching a rerun. It was a very convincing film. Why won't he look at the camera? Often imitated, but never duplicated, though. And what else did I see? I saw people, I saw wrestlers, I saw commentators, and I saw best friends doubt the stinger. That's right. Doubted the stinger. Took a little, so little symbolism I heard Lex here. We turned say, on him, I, I know where he lives, I know where he works out. I'm gonna go get it. So I said to myself, I'll just go into seclusion. I'll wait and see what happens on Saturday night. And I tuned in Saturday night, and what did I see? I saw more of the same, more doubt. Which brings me to Fall Brawl. I knew I had to get to Fall Brawl to get face-to-face with the total package to let him know that it wasn't me. And what I got out of that was, no, Sting. I don't believe you stink. Well, all I got to say is, I have been mediator. I have been babysitter for Lex Luger. I've given him the benefit of the doubt about a thousand times in the last 12 months. Yeah. What's he getting to? I don't like the, and I don't I like carry the tone the of this WCW at all. WCW banner. sweat and my tears for WCW. I don't like where this is going. So for all of those fans out there and all those wrestlers and people that never doubted the stinger, I'll stand by you if you stand by me. But, but for all of the people, all of the commentators, all of the wrestlers and all of the best friends who did doubt me, you can stick it. From now on, I consider myself a free agent. But that Uh-oh. doesn't mean that you won't see the stinger from time to time. I'm going to pop in when you least expect it. What about tonight? What did he mean? What about tonight? So in the fall of 96, uh, WCW is under attack from the New World Order. Hogan, Hall, Nash. And with War Games coming up, the NWO says it has a fourth man. Sting. Dun, dun, dun. Of course, it's not the real Sting. It's fake Sting, Jeff Farmer. uh, Because Sting is Mr. WCW, right? He has been loyal to that company for years and years and years, he never left, and he would never betray the company. But dumbasses like Lex Luger, who did leave the company and come back, by the way, they refuse to believe Sting. They believe that Sting has turned heel, joined the NWO, and attacked Luger in the parking lot. Sting, the ultimate good guy, they doubt Sting. So 
after War Games, Sting comes out and he says, you know what? I can't believe this. I can't believe you doubt me of all people. I've given everything for this company. For those of you that, that still love me, that still trust me, I'll be there for you. But for the doubters, you can stick it. I'm going to be a free agent. And then, not long after, Sting starts wearing the full face paint, starts wearing the trench coat, carrying the bat, hanging out in the rafters, and thus, Crow Sting is born. And every so often, he would come down and attack the NWO and uh, do the loyalty test with WCW guys, but mostly Sting stayed in the rafters. And he did not wrestle for over a year until Starcade 97 against Hogan. And... To put a guy like Sting, a huge star, on the sidelines like that and hold off and hold off and hold off for that long, that takes guts, Jeff. Oh, yeah. I I have nothing but respect for this program, to be honest with you, because while it wasn't my cup of tea because I just thought all, oh, all these ex-WWF guys are ruining my promotion. That's all I could think of during this time uh, because I, I just don't like Hogan at all. Um yeah, I, and but but you know if you're do, going for the snarky way, it's like oh Sting has the sads and he's gonna go to his room and pout for a while kind of thing, which also after a while it kind of got that way, especially with Shivani on commentary just milking it for all he could and and God bless him he had a job to do and and he did it but at the same time it just became, you know Sting's kind of a bit of an emo bitch so <laughs> so you know is, is he is he gonna have the sads this week and help. Or is he going to help out his friends with WCW? You know, that that kind of thing. Right. I mean, in this day and age, you know, when people want payoffs and gratification just immediately, it feels like, I mean, I can't even imagine today having a really popular wrestler who is by all accounts, you know, healthy and, and in his prime to just not wrestle for over a year. It's pretty crazy. I think um, it's suicide for most federations if they did that. Nowadays, yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, but Sting would eventually wrestle. He would finally get his hands on Hulk Hogan at Star K97 in a match for the world title. And um, the actual match was um, not ideal for a few reasons uh, involving Nick Patrick and uh, Montreal Screwjob callbacks. But we did get the entrance debut here of the first Crow Sting theme. Um, I think it aired originally in a promo package a few months before this. Um, but this is the actual debut of it uh, for a match. Uh, this is by Jimmy Hart and Howard Helm. Off of WWE, the music of WCW, this is the Sting Crow theme.
So this is quite the 180. Uh, we are no longer in fun, good time, bright rock and roll territory. We're in a much darker place. Um, but that's the point. You know, Crow Sting is a dark, moody character. He's brooding. He's melancholic. He's mysterious. He's up in the rafters, away from the people. You need a song that can capture all those feelings. And this song does that tremendously, I think. There are no big rock guitars or big bright energy. Instead, we get moody synths, the synth strings, the booming percussion. Like, it's still epic and still bombastic, but not like the Surfer Sting themes were. You know, this is not a rock star. This is more like a haunting, tormented spirit, a la The Crow. So it's just a perfect theme for this character here, Jeff. It's brooding. I think it's the term you're looking for. I, I, yeah, and I agree. I Again, but I will... I, it builds, but I think it takes too long to really... Because it, it starts off real soft, and you don't want to start off soft for an arena song. And I just... That's that's my ish, only issue with it, is that because then you can't really hear it unless it's cranked up all the way, and then you won't be able to hear it if people are talking to each other and, and things like that. So it, it, it's, a, it's a good song to set the mood, to me, it takes a little bit too long to get there from the intro, but yeah, no, it, it uh, I, you know, even though at the time, I mean, you had certain people on message boards and internet chat room, oh, it's just a ripoff of the movie, just a ripoff of the movie. I liked it kind of as, you know, I like these types of 180 gimmick changes where, you know, a guy goes against everything he had ever been before and it worked for him. I mean, it's kind of like when, when somebody who's just been, I mean, when somebody who's been a babyface all their life goes heel and they really get into the character, it works. But on this one, you know, going from hero to anti-hero worked for Sting, I think. Yeah, I love the composition of it, where it starts off with that low do, then the strings kick in. Na, 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 na. And as it goes, the percussion comes in and it gets louder and louder and busier and more frantic it's like this unstoppable force coming closer towards you and then right as it reaches the crescendo it stops yeah and you're left with the yeah the crescendo is great it just takes too long for me to get to the crescendo because once you get to the crescendo you know he's probably already at the ring and has been there for a few for a few you know for about 30 seconds but yeah no it sets a tone real well i just wish it had gotten there a little bit quicker Fair enough, sure, yeah. Um, but I think just looking at the song itself, it's the essence of early Crow Sting to a T. Yes. Like, he's this force of nature. He's not just a guy. He's this vengeful spirit. And if you're in his way, he's coming for you. And the drums get louder, you know, and, and the anxiety and the fear and the terror gets greater and greater until it's right on top of you. And when it's over, it's over. He leaves. He's done. No posturing, no preening. He's there one second, and he's gone the next. You know, we'll, we'll get the more traditional kick-ass Crow Sting theme soon, of course. But what I enjoy about this song so much is that it's not traditional. You know, it's, it's badass, but in its own unique way. I would agree. And I do want to bring up, too, that for the Starcade debut, there was a monologue attached to it. And I'll play it right here. When a man's heart is full of deceit. It burns up, dies, and a dark shadow falls over his soul. From the ashes of a once great man has risen a curse, a wrong that must be righted. We look to the skies for a vindicator, 
someone to strike fear into the black hearts of the same man who created him. The battle between good and evil has begun. Against an army of shadows comes a dark warrior, the prevailer of good, with a voice of silence and a mission of justice. This is It's really the mission statement of the character, you know, from the ashes of a once great man has risen a curse, a wrong that must be righted, um, someone to strike fear into the black hearts of the same men who created him, a dark warrior, the prevailer of good, and then it ends with a tonal twist on the classic ring intro. This is Sting. And there's lightning going off and the mood lighting, like, it, it's a really big intro that tells you everything about this character and what he stands for. Yeah, I had forgotten about that, uh, the poem. Yeah, um, now having said all of that, guess what happens? Sting joins the NWO, like, <laughs> he joins the Wolfpack to be specific, but still, it's the NWO. You know, he spent all that time fighting them, and then all of a sudden, in the middle of 98, up, oh, I'm in the Wolfpack now, and of course he had the red face paint too. Uh, which earned him the nickname Tomato Sting. Uh, <laughs> um, did you like Wolfpack Sting at all, Jeff? Because I never understood why they put him in that group, you know? I hated the whole concept of the Wolfpack, to be honest with you. I, I, I just, NWO versus, you know, had its various factions, and it, it was just, it had, it had gone so long that now it was starting to eat itself, and it just, it didn't make any sense, really. And I just, it, yeah, I, I didn't like it, plus... I hated Conan's music. I don't know why. I just hated that music, <laughs> but uh, it, it just it just got so convoluted to have those types of uh, you know factions within the NWO, and then of course with the backstage politics, which you know because it was you know, you're starting to get the kind of news and notes from behind the scenes that the internet is now known for, and it just people people didn't want to be in this NWO. They wanted to be in the cool NWO, and you know it was it became about money and all those other things. It just was like. God, they don't know. They don't have any way. They had they had painted themselves into a corner and they couldn't figure out a way out of it. So they decided to use a different color paint. And it just <laughs> it just didn't work. Yeah. Um, the thing that always gets me too is that when they did Sting versus Triple H at Mania Thirty One, you know DX comes out to help Triple H, and who comes out to help Sting? It's the original NWO in the black and white, which makes even less sense because you know. He wasn't in that one. <laughs> he was in the Wolfpack, for God's sake. So, um, I mean, at least have Nash come out in a Wolfpack shirt. At least do that, right? But they didn't do that. So it's always bugged me, Jeff, I guess. so. That match never happened. Uh, yeah, let's <laughs> <laughs> That's a good idea. Let's go with that. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, we're not going to play the Wolfpack theme. We'll skip that one here. And uh, instead, go right to October of 99. Uh, when Sting has turned heel for the first time in WCW. And it didn't last long, mind you, because it's Sting and people love Sting. But he did get a new theme song by a pretty big band, Metallica. And uh, Sting would have this theme for the remainder of his time in WCW until March of 01 when the company closed down. Uh, this song is originally from their debut album, Kill 'Em All. Uh, but Sting used a live version found on WCW Mayhem The Music. This is... Seek and destroy. Mm -hmm. 
this is the start of a new trend for Sting Stings. I mentioned earlier, you know, the difference between Surfer Sting and Crow Sting is the way they incorporate rock and roll and the tone they go for. Um, well, here it is. You know, Crow Sting, the darker character, if he's going to change his theme song away from the first melancholic theme into an actual rock theme, he's going to go for a darker, more intense rock sound, which is metal. And uh, Metallica, they're a really heavy band for sure. And um, this song is actually from their earlier days when they were a lot more raw and thrashy too. So with Sting leaning into the darker influences of his character, it would make sense then that he would lean into it with his music as well and the rock music he would use. Um, now a consequence of this is that you lose a lot of mystique by being this, you know, big loud metal song. But at this point, you know, Sting has already lost a bunch of mystique due to, you know, being in the Wolfpack or wrestling more, you know, cutting more promos, the whole, it's showtime, folks. Like, it's too late for that now, Jeff. It is, but you also have to remember that Sandman was using Metallica as well, maybe not during this period because of what it was, but in the mid-90s. Uh, it, it sets a mood. Metallica is mood music. Uh, you know, I remember when I was in the weight room, when I was trying to play football at UVA, there'd be, you know, <laughs> half, half, half the locker room wanted Public Enemy, the other half wanted Metallica. It, it, you know, it, 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 it pumps you up. It, it's and, and wrestling then had kind of become a raucous metal type of crowd. So it, it fit it fit for him. I don't remember this sting. I gotta be honest with you. I think I had stopped watching WCW at this point. Good decision. I don't remember good, him good being decision. A heel in WCW. <laughs> I really I really don't remember him being all that much of a heel in WCW. So I'm, I was, when you said that, I was like, hmm. Uh, but yeah, you can do worse. You can do worse in Metallica for a theme song. I never thought that Inner Sandman could have been a good wrestling theme because I thought you'd have, again, much like the Sticks problem. I thought you'd have to cut too much out of the entrance, but. They found a way for it to work. So, I mean, this one's also great. Yeah, and you can tell because the next thing we go to is a ripoff of the theme. True, yeah. Um, well, I think the theme of the song works well for Sting, too, you know, because it's about going on the hunt and taking people down. And, and that's Sting, you know, he goes after people. It, it works. The, so The urge to kill but not literally doing it, I read. Right, right. Well, well at first I was like, you know, mm, maybe it's a little too intense for Sting, lyrically with lines like, there's an evil feeling in our brains, and um, our brains are on fire with the feeling to kill. And there's talk of, you know, dying a thousand deaths. Like, that seems a bit too much for Sting, perhaps. Um, but then I remembered that when he got this song, he was a heel. So that kind of makes more sense then, too, I guess. You just want to put on a, an Affliction t-shirt and put this on, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, regardless, you know, it's Metallica. Like, the fact that a guy like Sting is coming out to a Metallica song it's a pretty big deal. Mm -hmm. um, of course, there is the Warner connection because, you know, Metallica were on Electra Records. They so. should have used that more. They should have used that connection a whole lot more for WCW when they got the partnership. Well, I know that in 99, there were other big bands that were brought in to WCW. Like, you had Kiss performing live on Nitro for the Kiss Demon. And um, Megadeth uh, did their song Crush Him for Goldberg. So... There was a pattern here of bringing in like these big mainstream rock and metal bands to perform you know, live and, and drum up interest. Um, but yeah, I mean, if you have the connection with Warner, use it. Uh, I mean, I know AEW right now, uh, Tony Khan has started to you know, ease his way into music rights 
Uh, I know he got Old 55 for Brody and um, Tarzan Boy for Jungle Boy. He just got that one, Baltimore. too. Baltimore, yeah. Uh, yeah, so um, I, I think, you know, if you have the connections and if you have the money, go for it. Well, you know, they had that they had that cool connection with Master P, too. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes. The, the, the biggest one of all, of course. <laughs> Kids love him some Master P. Uh, so uh, WCW closes up shop in March of 01, and uh, Sting, like Hogan, Nash, and Goldberg, decides to forego joining the WWF, and uh, instead decides to write out his contract. Um, which, you know, given the way the invasion played out, a pretty smart decision on Sting's part there, Jeff. Yeah, and this is this was a mistake on WWE's part, or WWF's part, to not bring in, you know, the heavy hitters all at once. But I can understand why. Yeah, I believe the moment Sting decided to not go was when The Rock and Booker T were in the ring, and Booker was WCW champion at the time, and The Rock goes, Who are you? I'm Booker T. It doesn't matter who you are! Like... That moment was when Sting realized, yeah, this this ain't for me. <laughs> We're going to get buried if we go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So um, so instead, uh, Sting takes a little while off from wrestling. He does some stuff in late 02, early 03 with uh, WWA out of Australia. And then in 03, he makes his first appearances with TNA Wrestling, where he had a few matches. Uh, his first TNA theme is by, of course, Dale Oliver. This is called... Stingalica. So just in case the name and uh, the very familiar guitarist fooled you, uh, this is Dale Oliver doing his own um, <clears throat> homage to Seek and Destroy. Uh, no lyrics, just the music. Just um, enough so they don't get sued for copyright violation. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't really have much to say about this one. Uh, it's basically just, you know, more of the same from the original song, just not as good. Um, anything about this one from you, Jeff? No, no further comment, Your Honor. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, this is one of those themes that, and the next one is too, that I think are lost to time for a lot of people. People don't really remember these themes. Um, unless, of course, you're Garrett Kidney, in which case you remember everything about TNA. Uh, but no, I, I think if you ask, you know, a random wrestling fan, hey, how many TNA themes did Sting have? They probably just say, you know, slay me, and that's it, so... So like I said, uh, Sting made a few sporadic appearances in TNA in 03, a couple in 04 as well. Uh, then he stopped wrestling for the most part for the next few years until January of 06 when he returned to TNA at final resolution as Christian Cage's tech partner against Jeff Jarrett and Monty Brown. Uh, Sting's theme for this one night only is by a guy named Toby Mack off the album Momentum. It's called Yours. Turn my back, I get the feeling that I'm about to take a shot to the stalling with the bat. I'm 
So Sting having a Beastie Boys song was a bit strange to me, you know, but I gotta say, Sting having a rapcore song is a tad bit stranger, because it's Sting, but there is a connection here, because Toby Mac is not just a rapper, he's a Christian rapper, he's a man of God, and Sting is born again, so they have that link there. And how is this for a connection? Sting's tag partner that night was Christian Cage. The signs are all there, Jeff. Uh, I, I'm fairly certain. I don't know, because I, I don't know Sting's journey with religion. But if it was in the last four years before this, I'm, sh- I'm pretty certain Sting probably listened to DC Talk at some point where Toby Mac was originally a part of. And look, uh, people of a certain age who were raised in the church who weren't allowed to listen to secular music, all had DC talk in there. In there. <laughs> I'm especially, especially Jesus freak. Um, I, I was not a part of that, but uh, I am well aware of, of DC talks influence on Christian music. So I would, I would, I would assume that he was very familiar with Toby Mac. Look, this isn't a bad Lincoln park, limp biscuit, type ripoff song to be honest with you i it, it you know it's not my thing but at the time it was everybody's thing i i could i could i, I don't mind this as much as some people do probably yeah yeah and, and looking at the song it seems to be about toby mac being at a low point and wanting to reunite with someone uh presumably god to make him whole again and make him better i'm out of control need you to fill my soul up and could you shed a little light on the skeleton's holdup? My past is taking me to task, and I can't guarantee how much longer I'll last. Without you, I'm a hopeless wreck, so I cry out your name as I drop to the deck. Meaning prayer, I guess. I'm yours. Take me as I am. I'm yours, so won't you take this space between us and fill it up again? That's Toby Mac's viewpoint. But if you want to... You can look at it as well through the lens of Sting coming back to wrestling. You know, Sting had been away for a while. He hadn't been doing wrestling on a regular basis since WCW closed down, really. Uh, but now he's coming back. He's ready for wrestling to, you know, fill his soul again and bring him back to prominence. And this TNA run was that big return. It became his new home for many, many years. So you can definitely read into it from that point of view, I think, Jeff. I'll let you do that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I know it's <laughs> yeah okay um yeah I I don't I didn't watch I didn't watch uh, TNA uh very much during this time I watched it some uh but yeah I I, I was it never mind just let's continue <laughs> <laughs> well well there are a few key lines I want to bring up um, the first one is the opening line every time I turn my back I get the feeling that I'm about to take a shot to the scully with a bat. So a bat reference there, that's pretty neat. And the other one that just makes me laugh and groan at the same time is simple-minded little punk, thought I was the junk, nobody ever told me that my doo-doo stunk. I mean, (laughs) what more needs to be said, Jeff? Come on. (laughs) Oh, the the lyrics are just... Yeah, okay. Um... Yeah, I gotta keep it clean. I gotta say doo-doo. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, in April of 06, uh, Sting gets a new TNA theme, the one that'll have for the remainder of his time in TNA, which is uh, almost eight years. 
So this is the longest tenured theme in Sting's career. Um, it's by Dale Oliver, and uh, there are two versions that we'll play. Uh, the first one he had from 06 to 07. It's off of Third Degree Burns, The Music of TNA Wrestling, Volume 1. This is Slay Me. This is the theme that I associate with Sting the most, because this is the era of Sting that I grew up with, of course. And it's a pretty damn great song, too, I have to say. I love that initial guitar line at the beginning, the... That's a great start to the song. Um, and then it ramps up into this, you know, shredding guitar fest. So it's definitely taking a page out of the Seek and Destroy playbook with its genre, but it doesn't come off like a copycat like Stigelica does. It has its own melody and pace. And it just, it feels like a big-time song that fits the magnitude of a wrestler like Sting, who is a big-time star. So, I give this one two thumbs up, Jeff. What about you? I think it's a good theme. I I, I only had one word as a note on this, and that's thirds. And it's like, guitarists really like their thirds. And that's, you know, that's really what this is. is, is, <laughs> is a guitar player showing off he can play thirds. It, it's good as a wrestling theme. It worked for Sting here. I, I would agree with that, but I, you know, I, it didn't. It doesn't blow me away as a song per se. Mm. And there's a cool B section too, where it breaks down to this kind of moody interlude, and the guitars get kind of echoey, um, which I think is a little nod to the classic Crow theme there. But it's pretty minimal, so it's definitely continuing the trend of relying more and more on heavy metal and big guitars and the epicness of that as opposed to the moodiness and the drama of the original Crow Sting theme. Um, but to be fair, you know, again, this is the direction that we've been following with Sting himself. Mm-hmm. You know, Sting at this point is no longer the vengeful spirit in the rafters. You know, he's more of a, a, a general badass, I guess, you know, because he still has the bat and the coat and the face paint and all that stuff. But the days of, you know, out of the ashes has risen a curse. Those are long gone, Jeff. Mm-hmm. I would agree. Yeah, and that's really evident as well with the second version of this theme, uh, which he had from 07 to January 2014, uh, which was the end of his TNA run. Uh, So let's hear the second version of Slay Me.
so they modified the song just a little bit with this one. Um, the tempo is faster, a little bit of a change up with the instrumentation as well. Um, and they also got rid of the moody B section too. So this is just a straight up metal fest. You know, no hints of theatrical drama at all. Um, but yeah, I think that's all I have to say about this one. Uh, what about you, Jeff? I had nothing else. Okay. Uh, <laughs> uh, but yeah, man, uh, Stinging TNA. Uh, he was there for a long time. And, and he did a lot, too. You know, he wasn't just showing up as a guest star every now and then. He was a four-time world champion. Um, he headlined Bound for Glory, you know, four times in a row. Uh, there was the Jeff Jarrett feud, of course. Uh, the Abyss feud. Uh, Main Event Mafia. Joker Sting. Sorry. Suddenly, I, I, I'm trying to get my composure, Eric. I, I've had this stuff. It's just, it's been bottled up inside me this whole show, and I, I can't hold it anymore. I'm, I'm about ready to explode. Shut about it. Shut about it. I know that the truth sets free, and so I'm gonna fess up right now, okay? I'm, I'm. I'm not the network exec. The ultimate X match and the cage match. I'm so sorry, Eric. I'm so sorry. It was all just right here in my head. It was just concocted in my head. I I, I made it all up. I'm so sorry. You are nuttier than I thought. You are insane. But you know what boggles my mind? What boggles my mind is what happens when you wear a nice suit. Versace. It's Italian. $4,000. People listen to you. You get your way. You got stroke. And it feels good. But this is going to feel good for you. Remember the Hitchcock movie, The Birds? Yeah, they just peck, 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 peck away at you. Don't move. That's when they want to get you. He'll go right for the eyeballs. It's okay. You're going to get along good with him because these birds have six cents. They can smell garbage from a mile away. Eric, you got a key, an outdoor lock. I'm going to go watch a cage match. See you. Cha-cha. We can't forget about Joker Sting, so he did quite a lot in TNA. Um, Some good, some not so good, but... You undoubtedly cannot tell the story of TNA and Impact without Sting, Jeff. You know, it's weird in that he got to take a lot more artistic risks with his characters in TNA than he ever did when he was carrying a company, but that's because he had the luxury to be able to then take risks. Because Joker Sting was a risk. Main Event Mafia is a risk, especially when you're thought of as, you know, one of the pillars of the Monday Night Wars. But yeah, I, 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 I don't... I don't hate this era of TNA, per se. I keep saying per se. Jeez. (laughs) (laughs) Well, uh, after leaving TNA, uh, there's just one more place for Sting to go, and that's WWE. He finally goes there for the first time in his career, and he shows up at Survivor Series 2014 to take out Triple H and help Dolph Ziggler defeat the Authority. The Authority were now gone and never seen again, and that lasted for, uh, oh, about a month, I'd say. <laughs> and then they were back. But um, but Sting was now here in a feud with Triple H. Uh, they had the match at Mania 31, which Sting lost, of course. 
And then a few months later, he wrestled Seth Rollins, where his back exploded and he had to retire. So, uh, overall, not a peachy run for Sting in WWE there, Jeff. Not a peachy run. Um, It's weird because I remember remember fan interest in Sting did a lot more for him than the actual run. Because remember, they had those uh, Dark Knight type of parody ones where he'd face The Undertaker at WrestleMania. I thought that was a cool idea. I loved the idea of his character in WWE. It belonged in WWE, this kind of character, this kind of supernatural type of force type thing, which WWE tends to do quite a bit. I I, I dug it as a, you know, as kind of, if, if you took a comic book character and, and put it here, it'd be the, kind of the specter. And that was what Sting was kind of do here. Now, after the Triple H feud, it went to hell because of the stupid statue stuff. With Rollins, if you remember that angle, which was just dumb. That's not Sting, that's a picture of Sting. Yeah, yeah, they really didn't, they didn't really give him his due because they didn't want to give him his due because old scores had to be settled. And if they had got, could have gotten past that and just done business, this could have been a much bigger deal than it was. Well, uh, regardless, he did get a Jim Johnston theme. Uh, This is called Out From The Shadows. This one is definitely Jim Johnston trying to harken back to the original Crow theme and the atmosphere that song created. Uh, You mentioned Sting uh, leaning back into the more supernatural and moody vibes in WWE. It starts off with the Crow noises and the spooky sound effects. And then the dun, dun, dun. Uh, There are spooky synths, uh, the plinky, you know, dun, 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 dun. Uh, The percussion is similar as well the old crow theme um where it's quite booming and we still get the metal guitars in there too but this is not kick-ass metallica shredding uh it's still quite dark so it's very clear what jim johnson is going for with this one here jeff i think the crow calling also really makes this theme it sets the mood for me i I think jim johnson nailed this one to be honest with you i i I love. I liked it. I liked the entire presentation of sting with this theme yeah it was just the booking let him down but Overall, I mean, it, it was a grand entrance. People knew who it was almost from the get-go, which is another sign of a great theme for me. Yeah, I, I like this one a lot. Yeah, I mean, I think it's fine. I don't necessarily hate it, but I can't help but compare it to the WCW theme. You know, for, for as 90s as it sounds with the production quality, I think it's a bit more 
memorable than this one is. You're probably um, also more attached to that theme than I am, so I can understand that too. I, I just don't have a lot of memories of the WCW themes. Yeah, I mean, I do appreciate, though, that Jim Johnston went in a different direction with Sting's theme as opposed to just, you know, continuing the trend of Metal Song Number 7 or whatever. Yeah. I mean, I know that, you know, uh, you know, people were upset that he didn't just use the old WCW Crow theme, but look, it's WWE. It is what it is, Jeff, you know? Right. Um, by the way, do you remember Sting's Mania 31 entrance where they had the traditional Japanese percussion group Yes. You know, in the Sting makeup, banging on those big drums and gongs. Yeah. I remember watching that thinking, like, this is an odd choice for Sting, you know? And and it was daylight, too, which was also... It made you know, no pretty... sense. No, nothing about it made sense. It being in the middle of the day made no sense. The jam- Yeah, I, rem- <laughs> I remember that because I had driven home to watch it because I had been up... I drove up there to go see the NXT show and then said, I'm not staying for Mania. It came right. <laughs> Right, right, yeah. Um, but that was also the same match, too, with Triple H and the Terminator entrance with Arnold Schwarzenegger. Oh, so it, it was a whole big thing, you know? So. Yeah, we had to be overwrought with Triple H's entrance. I, <laughs> that entrance was so dumb. <laughs> I'm sorry. I just... <laughs> like you said, Jeff, let's forget this ever happened. Come on now. I'm so. trying, I'm trying. Taz is calling every shot. Yes, he is. He's, he's, he's calling the plays. He's oh, sending them in. They're holding Cody up. The FTW Championship in hand and hot. He's defending. Sting retired, went into the WWE Hall of Fame, uh, did the whole Legends deal, of course. And and then last year, Sting's contract with WWE ended and he left. Which brings us to the final theme of the episode here, the one that Sting has right now in AEW. He debuted for the company on my birthday, December 2nd, uh, to thwart Team Taz and go eye-to-eye with Cody and Arn Anderson and Darby Allin. His theme is by Mikey Ruckus. It's called Arrival.
I'll just put this out there right now. Um, not only is this my new favorite theme in wrestling, I think it's also the best theme that Matthew Ruckus has ever done. And dare I say, this is the best Sting theme that he's ever had. I love it that much. It's epic, it's theatrical, it's rockin', it's dark and haunting. It manages to, you know, represent all these different moods all at once, which is very impressive. Um, the intro is great, the drum beat into the main section is really cool too, the guitar riffs are so killer. There's just so much about this that I love so much, and I think it, it tips the cap to Metallica and the Crow theme at the same time, while also being its own thing. So, if nothing else happens with Sting and AEW, at least we got this theme, Jeff. I'm happy about that. No, I, I like the theme a lot. It's not my favorite in AEW. I still like uh, I like Ricky Starks' theme quite a bit. Um, but I, I like that it, it it has the feeling of a funeral dirge with the, with the organ in there. And I, I think this is... It, it's weird because Sting's going to be AEW's Undertaker, kind of. And I, I think that's appropriate for him in this thing. I also... It just it sounds like a funeral dirge by way of November Rain, kind of, by Guns N' Roses. But I, I like the funeral aspect with organ and stuff. And the reason I say it is it's because hopefully this is his last theme. Because hopefully we don't need to keep reinventing Sting at, close, what, 60-something or close to 60. Uh, 61. 61? Okay, thank you. No, it, 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 it sets his mood. It's kind of uh, foreboding. And it also sounds like, again, a funeral dirge. So it means, it means doom is coming. And I like that. I like that a lot. Yeah, and it feels like a Sting theme from the jump. Uh, I remember watching Dynamite that night and... The lights went out, the music hit, down, 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 down. and I knew right away, this has to be Sting, it's gotta be Sting. And it was, you know, and, and I had no idea he would be there either, um, but it just clicked in my mind that this is Sting. The grandiosity of it all, the tone. Um, and I think calling the song Arrival feels so appropriate as well, because it's not like Sting is coming to the ring He's arriving to the ring. There's a whole procession. There's a whole to-do. Again, the theatricality of Sting. The music, the lights, the snow coming down. Tony Schiavone, it's Sting! Like, it feels momentous, and it feels special. Um, obviously, diminishing returns and all that for the future, but, you know, for that first entrance specifically, it's burned into my brain, Jeff. Yeah, it, it, it's a great theme, is what it is. Um, I, I do wonder, though, how long they'll keep the snow entrance going, because if it's July and they're still in Jacksonville, That's it'll be part. a funny sight to see, and, I think. But, but I could see them if they're touring, like in certain like smaller arenas, wanting to do the snow effect. I think that'd be kind of cool. Yeah. Yeah. Indoors. It can work there. Sure. Um, but, you know, for now, it's still winter. So you go with it. And uh, I, I do love how annoyed Taz gets by the snow. I'm sick of this shit. It, it's really great. I love Taz so much. And uh, yeah, that's Sting. Uh, a long career, a lot of theme songs. And uh, it looks like he's going to be in AEW for many years to come. And I'm glad that he's there because it does feel like a place where he belongs. You know, he's back on TNT. Cody's there. You know, Arn, Tully, Tony Schiavone, Dean Malenko. Um, Tony Khan is obviously a big fan of him as well and respects him quite a bit. So I'm looking forward to, you know, seeing what Sting does beyond just, you know, showing up with the bat to help out Darby. 
Um, cinematic matches, I, I can leave those behind. But besides that, it is nice to see Sting in a company like AEW that treats legends with respect and honor. So Yeah, I just hope they don't overuse them. That's my only big fear. Yeah, we'll see what happens for sure. For sure. All right, well, that's going to do it for this episode of Music of the Mat, the 100th episode. Thank you so much for listening. Um, the next episode, like I mentioned earlier, will be the fourth anniversary show. So I'll save the big thank you speech for next time. Um, but I do appreciate other people listening out there. And Jeff, I appreciate you as well for being here again and discussing all these sting themes. This was fun. No problem. Any plugs you want to give? Go right ahead. Yeah, sure. Uh, you can listen to my show here on the Voices of Wrestling Network, Shake Them Ropes, along with Chris Novembrino. Uh, this comes out next week, I assume. So <laughs> uh, Tuesday. Uh, Tuesday. Tuesday. Okay. So uh, if if you're listening to this when it first comes out, I'm also on this week's episode of Between the Sheets with Chris Zellner and David Bixenspan talking January of 1986 Territory Wrestling. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at crapgame13, uh, and I'm also occasionally over on Fightful doing their post uh, post pay per view shows. And Music of the Mat is, of course, part of the Voices of Wrestling podcast network, just like Shake Them Ropes. You can find all the great podcasts on there at voicesofwrestling.com. Follow the show on Twitter at Music of the Mat. Follow me on Twitter at Andrew T. Rich. If you want to discuss this episode or other topics. Uh, you can do so at the VOW Discord. That's voicesofwrestling.com slash Discord. If you want to donate to the show, you can do that. Just go to voicesofwrestling.com slash donate and click the big donate button beneath the name Music of the Met. If you donate, hey, thanks so much. You're awesome. Of course, rate, review, subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and many other places. And finally, I want to give a big plug to the VOW New Japan 2020 Year in Review ebook. Uh, the new ebook is out, and it is a compendium about the year that was for New Japan in 2020. So, essays, results, stats, profiles, tournaments, title histories, artwork, just so much goes into it every single year. And this year was no different. So uh, you can find the book at voicesofwrestling.com slash books. And there are two ways to pay for it. Uh, you can get it on Amazon Kindle, which has a fixed price of $5.99. Or you can get it on Payhip, which is pay your own price. So if you want it for free, you can. But just know that all the money earned from the book sales goes right to the people who made the book. So all the writers, artists, contributors, what have you... It all goes to them. So if you can spend some money on this book, please do so. That'd be awesome. Again, voicesofwrestling.com slash books is the link to there. So uh, yeah, Jeff, thank you again, and I'll see you around. Yep, thanks. All right, for Jeff Hawkins, I'm Andrew Rich. 100 episodes done and dusted. Hell yeah, we did it. And I'll see you next time on Music of the Mat. Take care, guys. <laughs> Music of the Mad is intended for entertainment and information purposes only. The songs used throughout this show are property of their respective copyright holders.